Welcome to the IoT Security Podcast, powered by Phosphorus Cybersecurity, your source for securing the extended Internet of Things. Join the conversation with your hosts, Brian Contos and John Vecchi. Well, hello, everybody. You're listening to the IoT Security Podcast live on Phosphorus Radio, and I'm John Vecchi. And I'm Brian Contos, and we've got a fantastic guest today. Welcome to the show, Susan Peterson Sturm. How are you, Susan? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Welcome, Susan. Great to have you. Oh, we're excited. So excited. Uh, Susan, before we get going, maybe you could give our listeners a a little bit of background about uh, you and how you came up in the industry and what it is you do today. Sure. So I've spent most of my career in the energy industry, actually, um, working at both automation companies and energy companies. I spent a lot of time wearing lightweight Nomex in, you know, Latin America, walking through power plants, trying to figure out, you know, this process, instrumentation drawing, how does that tie to that tag and, you know, the, mm-hmm. the data flows. But I actually got into, so I did like asset optimization, a lot of cool stuff between trading. I love energy markets, super fun stuff. Um, but I got into OT security through product management. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's been really fun. I feel like I'm growing up with folks in the industry over the past 15-ish years. They've done M&A, uh, led product security at a $15 billion company, worked on like strategy and marketing initiatives. And then most recently, I'm a recovering chief information security officer from an industrial data operations company. <laughs> wow, Susan, wow. you're 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 such an underachiever. I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know what we're going to talk about. No, that that that's fascinating, and it, it and it's so interesting too hearing people that kind of came up in OT because so many of the folks that we have on our program were kind of transplants. They they started on the IT side and mm-hmm. then they kind of moved over a little bit to, you know, what's SCADA, what's a PLC? And they kind of learned that world, but uh, a little bit flip-flopped. And I mean, you actually came up in that, which was, must've been really interesting just because the, the dynamics of uh, operational devices are s- so different at their core than IT. Mm-hmm. It's it's been fun and at the same time like energy markets have like liberalized in that time, right? And especially mm-hmm. in power. So the value of that data, even if it's not to do control, right? Uh, but the value of that data to optimize is, you know, the the economic positioning, the security of the grid. That's what makes this super compelling to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, the more that we can securely adopt this kind of visual technology, there's, you know, so much underutilization given current technology for energy resources. And we need it right now. We, we're really constrained. So it's, it's a really cool time to be in this space and helping hopefully enable it uh, the transition in a secure way. Yeah. I mean, wow. It's in its perfect timing. There's so much focus on this. And uh, I think. You know, I mean, we just watch, I'm sure you see it similarly, Susan, every week, CISA's is another, you know, five, three, four, five advisories, all targeting critical infrastructure, you know, programmable logic controllers, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. So, I mean, one thing I'm dying to know is like, what's it like to be a CISO today in the energy sector? I mean, what's, what's that like? And how is that different than your typical CISO and maybe other types of industries, right? Yeah. 
So I'm not currently a, a CISO, um, you know, mm-hmm. recovering one for a company that served a lot of the oil and gas majors um, in large power generation and chemical companies. I think it's really so, you know, we've got CISO, which is giving us some great guidance, right? I, I think about, um, I'm kind of a recovering, like, I, I really love econometrics <laughs> and, you know, um, so thinking about value at risk. Right. As a, as you know, because it's, it's very hard, you know, we can't, we can't make an argument with a compliance sort of checkbox, right. We need to speak the language of business and it's, it's, it's really challenging. There's a lot of change management. Um, I think CISOs of companies that are, you know, have operational technology, especially with that new SEC ruling, right. Mm -hmm. Being able to talk about, how you quantify material cybersecurity risk, mm-hmm. those 10K statements aren't only going to address, uh, you know, data integrity, et cetera, <laughs> right? They're going to be talking about, you know, potential consequences around operational technology. If you're a product company, if you're a company, a manufacturing company, you, you know, a lot, I think you could argue that you have material risk tied to those systems. And it will be interesting once we can have more of a dollar-based discussion, how the culture might change from one where, you know, everybody needs to meet this minimum, which we haven't gotten the progress we need, frankly, in our industry, Mm -hmm. in our industries, right? To one that's more risk-based and saying, you know what, I can accept that control. That's that's within the zone of tolerance. And I'm going to go really deploy more resources on this one, which is the big, right? But that alignment Mm -hmm. with the business, I think, will be very helpful. It's it's a stressful gig right now. There's a lot of personal liability, you know, tied to the CISO roles. You know, we've seen um, some CISOs get prosecuted. Uh, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not an expert in all of those cases, both in Europe and the US. And uh, it can feel like, you know, it can feel like a lot of risk when you don't have visibility in every aspect, it, especially if there's more than IT scope. Yeah, I was at uh, Black Hat this year in Vegas, which at the time of this recording was just about a month or so ago. And uh, I was at an event where the former CISO for Uber was was giving a talk to a room full of CISOs talking mm-hmm. about the, the court case and the prosecution. And it was so interesting watching the other CISOs in the room just saying, okay, what are the things I need to do to avoid ever being in that situation? Mm-hmm. And just the the, uh, the amount of liability that was put upon them and sort of the responsibility that came up with that. Um, but I'm wondering, given your, um, your past experience as a CISO in that role, and we've talked to CISOs from many other industries, and some of them tell us that the executive team, the rest of the executive team, the the boards, other critical stakeholders, they they get it. They get the the cyber risk. In some verticals, we hear that uh, it's it's such an uphill battle. What, what are what do you think the current state is now? Do you think that these executives and board members and other critical stakeholders get it in in the industrial side, or is there still a big gap? You know, I think where your company is and its maturity is an important part of it too. I mean, if you're in startup world, every dollar. Right. And even for security companies, right, every dollar that you invest in, oh, here's an accretive revenue generating feature. Oh, let's go back and deal with our security technology debt. Those are difficult discussions, no matter what. And they're they're real. Let's be pragmatic. Right. So Mm -hmm. um, I think no one is going to say, nah, I don't care about security. 
But on the flip side, you can get into a lot of debate about what's good enough. And if you're on the product side, there is so much work to, I mean, these are safety critical industries, right? If it's Mm -hmm. med tech, if it's transportation, it doesn't matter. And so then it's like embedding into these design practices, right? That have treated security as a separate thing and getting visibility into those engineering processes, into those service processes where, you know, the current leadership has visibility to those tools when they're monitoring quality and, you know, execution. So I think that's a challenge is to be able to embed it into the, not treat it as something separate, <laughs> embedded into existing processes, which takes a lot more time, but is way stickier. And then having a basis by which to say, we're not, we're not, you know, overbuilding here. We are building, and, and that's why I really like a value at risk type of approach, right? Because you're aligning to the company's enterprise risk management posture, mm-hmm. and then you're giving some additional context around security risk, um, which can become physical risk or compliance risk in, you know, in critical infrastructure OT security. Yeah, yeah. And you said it, OT security, right? So, Again, and it's a tough one. I mean, and you've lived it, you still live it. You know, uh, again, you just look at the history of this, and Brian and I talk about it all the time on this podcast. And, you know, it's not like they're, they're all alone in the state of these kinds of devices, but, but certainly when you look at industrial ICS settings and energy and utilities and, and these, it's a very, very difficult one looking at the state. Of, of these, we call it XIOT, which includes things like OT, you know, cyber physical systems, industrial IOT, cyber physical systems. Again, there's even some things that you'd classify as IOT that can be very critical in some of these settings. I mean, it's a camera can be a very critical device in some settings, right? So th- that's why the IO, the XIOT, they overlap. But you look at all of these, you look at the state of them, they're they're a mess. They're very old. No one wants to touch them. And that, and then coupled with, you know, like you said, the, the mindset used to be, oh, they're isolated and they're air gapped. And, and that's so different now, right? I mean, we're looking now at some of these things. We have 5G gateways. I mean, these things are more and more connected. Um, it's so different now, right? And so when you're a, like CISOs that are overseeing this, I mean, is do they do they oversee this? There's there's so many different groups, right, Susan? That that might be touching these things, or maybe don't want you to touch them. Yeah, um, it is just an, an incredibly difficult thing. I mean, you know, I would love to just hear like, what are your thoughts on some of yeah. those? Yeah, there's part of me, and this is like a mea culpa. I'm part of the problem. <laughs> mm-hmm. But sometimes I think this perspective and i'll probably get some nasty comments about this but this perspective that we're so special right Mm -hmm. um you know in ot security and uh that you know nobody can touch our systems and it has not served us super well and so Mm -hmm. um you know I, i look at the ot security space where up until maybe two years ago you could get 25 million bucks in that m a and private equity without having a beta you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> product. Yeah. So a lot of, and to me, this, this reminds me, you know, I'm old enough to remember dot bomb, um, you know, so I, I really wanted to get a mm. job at Enron, graduated from college, you know, <laughs> good thing I didn't. Um, 
or the whole kind of digital bubble, you know, nobody talks about digital. Now they just talk about their teams developing software, you know. Uh, so it, this bubble that we've seen, right, you know, it's it's just ma although macro and then kind of more micro, but there's still very few companies that are pure play OT security that are making more than $50 million a year. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. So... And then you look at consistently these market surveys and, you know, these are not like expensive. These are like the freemium ones that I'm looking, but like it's an $18 billion market. And you're like, this doesn't square. This doesn't make sense. And the thing that I care about, frankly, is we're not really solving this problem. We have this like pretend air gap where everyone mm -hmm. knows that it's, you know, you pick up the end of the rug and it's going to have worms and stuff under it. And it's going to be scary. Right. And we've kept it isolated. But the biggest thing is, I think we've forgotten the user. Okay. And so we're, you know, Gardner says we're in the trough of disillusionment phase for OT security. So mm -hmm. there's all these like early pioneers, all this tech, but like nothing is scaled yet. We don't have major players. And the focus on the user isn't there. And I, this is a really hard market, right? Because you know, talk about change management as a CISO in an organization. I've got my side, right? But I'm being pitched, right? New, I was being pitched new security technologies. Mm -hmm. And then I probably am going to have to, if I'm a regular CISO in an energy company, then I'm going to bring in my OT security team that may or may not be reporting to me. Mm -hmm. And then the people who are going to have a significant hand in maintaining it are the operations folks, right? Yep. And the operations folks, you know, are people who really have expertise in those automation systems and the underlying process, right? They tend to spend a long time at one plant and we haven't done a great job about that persona and making it yeah. easy for them. And as a result, even when technology has been deployed at those sites, they're not touching it. And it's not that they don't care, right? <laughs> it's that I think that we haven't focused enough on who one of the really important end users are and how we can make that a part of their everyday, a part of their, you know, shift rounds, the way they're walking through and, you know, taking, you know, looking at you know, doing visual inspection at equipment and, you know, taking readings for anything that's not plugged in, having the same kind of mentality about, you know, on patch management, on, you know, network detection, you know, on software versioning, all of those kinds of things. If it's not part of a day job and if it's not designed for that user, we're not really going to make material progress. And it doesn't matter how cool the tech is. And I know we love the tech, but I would I would say we've got an empathy problem in OT security. And, you know, we get we get excited about the tech. We get excited about how special we are a little bit. And we're forgetting a little bit about our users, which I, I think we need to do a better job. And I'm part of the problem. I've launched products. So I'm not <laughs> not pointing fingers at anybody. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and that that's a great perspective because then that ties into processes, right? And trying to m ensure that you have optimized your processes effectively. And sometimes those cross that chasm, right? So yeah, it might impact a PLC or maybe in the middle, the SCADA management console historian, something, something there, or on the IT side or on the IoT side, it might be the security cameras, the digital door locks and everything in between. So we go into these organizations today and they have very little sort of concrete evidence. So evidence-based data regarding where are my critical assets, whether it's a, a piece of hardware, a virtual machine, a cloud-based asset, a user, 
um, you know, specific software applications and everything in between. Each one of those things is an asset. And so few of them have that. Now, you take a step back and you look at almost every single framework and regulatory mandate in the world across NIST, across PCI, across SOX, across, you know, er you know, things that have come from NERC. Pretty much everyone says, know what you've got. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, and know where it is and, and hopefully what it does and its dependencies and things like that. And we built all these other tools and processes atop that without actually addressing that one foundational piece. And there's other foundational pieces that we probably haven't addressed, but that's one of them. And we try to keep on building and it's like this house of cards. And I've seen this multiply uh, pretty extensively in oil and gas, power and energy. I, I see it in chemical, both batch and discrete manufacturing. So anybody that has this really rich hybrid, you know, ecosystem, automated um, agriculture as well, or mechanized agriculture. But I see this and they're, they're trying to say, oh, I've got, I've got a source solution and a SIM solution. I've got this and that. Okay. How do you even know what you have? And how do you know it's state? Like, am I rotating passwords? Am I patching? Am I updating? Like, you know, security from 1995, update your stuff, mm -hmm. have a good password. How do we move forward, I guess, is where my question is hidden in the whole diatribe. But how do we move forward when some of those foundational pieces, they just seem to be kind of skipped over over the last couple of decades? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, I agree with you. And I think, you know, sometimes we lean on the heterogeneity of our tech stack. As one of the reasons, you know, if it's age, if it's vendor, whatever, we kind of lean on that and say, oh, it's impossible. Um, mm -hmm. But again, kind of taking that risk-based view, right? So there's a couple of things like in, in these spaces, we're really comfortable with reliability engineering, right? And so if we can use that kind of paradigm to talk about criticality, right, that's very helpful. And it's getting into probably, you know... I've sat through a lot of risk reviews in that space, right? And it's getting into pretty prescriptive questions about mm -hmm. what other systems, if this were breached, what other systems could be impacted. And, um, you know, NIST has done some really, provided actually some really good guidance, some really actionable guidance on kind of doing that risk-centered framework. Um, and then I think kind of translating it into reliability into like a paradigm that's probably more comfortable for a lot of the folks, you know, in... In engineering, you're going to come up with some counterintuitive things like, well, this thing is triple modular redundant and I can operate it in manual. So it's not that critical. Right. And, you know, but you'd be like, but this is the crown jewel. So like, that's the insight that we certainly need. But as security folks, we have to say, well, if they breach that system or they jack that sensor up, what are the secondary impacts? Right. And mm -hmm. so I think it's just like having more diverse and equitable in like hiring, you start with like a standardized set of interview questions. And I, I think some of that putting it in the right language, right? Um, because I think a lot of times it's, do you have this or not? Right? <laughs> um, you know, can you check this box or not? But so, you know, that's part of the problem. I think the other part is, you know, I've, I've looked also at a lot of specs from companies in you know, kind of critical infrastructure space, how are we defining requirements around users, right? Around yeah. what we want there, you know, what do we want the console for the operator to look at? Like how much time should they be able to do X, Y, Z tasks, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what systems do they need to connect to, 
right? If we're going to do something about scheduling, doing shift planning, right? And putting that into their shift or putting it into maintenance, um, you know, planning systems. So I'd love to see more focused on the user from the customer side about what that should look like. And then, you know, kind of the last piece is we need to do more to embed security. And, and so if I looked at the job descriptions, probably of those teams, right? Uh, even risk teams, how much would relate to security, right? Uh, or on the regulatory side, um, you know, in those filings. And so I think we need to stop treating it like it's special and kind of put it into the four job descriptions. <laughs> then then it gets measured, right? I mean, these these are very high quality organizations that are focused on safety and repeatability. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's like we just have to pivot and make it easier within their their business process, right? It, and I think it's a normal maturation process, honestly. And I, I don't think there's any bad intent, but it's away from kind of the, oh, here's some cool technology, you know, we bought it and we've got it uh, to like, all right, how are we doing these steps in, you know, less time? How are we providing this data to more users that need it? it and, you know, I think it's to be expected, frankly. Yeah. And do you see, Susan, that the evolution of some of the new technologies we have can help with that? I mean, you, you think in terms of OTICS and, and, you know, we see that this kind of phrase, it's, it's now, next, never. You've heard, heard this, right? It's like, the, specifically, again, relative to these cyber physical systems that, you know, they're all air gapped and they're all isolated and you can't touch them and don't ever, you know, actively try to go find all those things, right? Just standing. No. Yeah. Oh my God. That Yeah. And it's like, so here's the now, like, here's what I'm doing now. Here's what I'm maybe going to do next. And here's what I'm never going to do. Um, and, you know, thinking, looking at the never, right? This is the, I think this is the crux of kind of the foundation of we don't ever touch this stuff, that ingrained mindset. Um, and, you know, when I look at the industry and I see, I think of now, next, never, you know, we tend to say it's like 70% never, maybe. I don't know what you see. Um, and, and that's what we're trying to move the needle on, right? Again, is more of and what we call, and Gartner even calls the more asset-centric maybe approach, right? I think in terms of these things as endpoints, and I talk about it all the time. Uh, it's an endpoint. There just happens to be magnet, orders of magnitude more of them than the kind of traditional endpoints you think of. Um, in, in your, you know, IT security today, but, you know, more of an as- asset centric approach where we might have technologies that can safely go find them. As Brian said, visibility is a problem. Like, I don't even know, how do I know what I'm doing next? And maybe what I'm really should be never, if I don't even know necessarily everything I have to tell you whether that should be in the now, next or never bucket, right? But some of the new technologies now can, we can go maybe find them. As Brian said, we can address what we call table stakes. Like, you know, when is the last time you ever changed passwords on any of these devices? And and that's like, that's a fair question. I mean, it's t- kind of table stakes. Um, and again, patching, we understand some you may never patch, but even monitoring, I think in terms of the never, I say, okay, I understand that maybe never, but are you monitoring those? Are you managing them in any way? You know, do you think... Are we moving the needle on any of that? And do you see that never bucket maybe moving from 70% if it is today lower so we can maybe address, move those more into the now and next buckets? Or what do you see? 
if you look at the guidance, right, from CISA, if you look at the, you know, kind of the whatever your entity's regulator is, right, I mm -hmm. don't think you're going to be able to continue to fly blind. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I think that, you know, this administration has really tried to give more actionable guidance and 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 bring bring more collaboration from stakeholders. So you've got that coupled with the financial community seeing security as a material risk, <laughs> right? And then you've got you got two other market forces that I see. The median age of somebody working at, you know, a plant, you know, an emission critical types of plants. So if it's water treatment, you know, chemicals is 55 in the US and Europe. So there is a heck of a lot of gray matter that's about to leave the building. Mm, yeah. It's a great point. Okay, so you've got yep. that. You've got a new generation of folks coming up that, you know, uh, I get to uh, mentor a group of really awesome recent graduates, uh, cyber graduates um, through Women in Cybersecurity. Some of them are engineers, but they all know how to code. <laughs> right. So they're going to come in with different tool sets. Right. So you have to think about how those folks are, are what their worldview is going to be. Right. Mm -hmm, they didn't mm -hmm. have the experience with analog, <laughs> going from analog to digital. Right. And then you have this proliferation of devices. And it's not just, well, we've got this cool wireless sensor on this thing. If I look at the energy sector, right. If think about this. How many more devices do I have? You know, I've got one 400 megawatt combined cycle plant that has, you know, two gas turbines and a steam turbine, you know, versus a PV farm. One farm has got five megawatts of capacity. So just the number of devices, if they're not connected, <laughs> right? Um, if you just say everything's fine behind the air gap, it becomes really untenable. And so mm -hmm. some of mm -hmm. that, that lore about the relative strength of an air gap or not being able to do active scanning, I think what we're seeing is more progressive companies. And it is really interesting to see in the renewable space, like they've adopted containerization in, <laughs> in a way that we haven't seen as much in conventional and it's out of necessity. So yeah. I think that's where we're going to end up, right? Is, you know, especially if you think about more localization in factories, et cetera, you know, more smart devices, there's going to be no option but to make this easier. It, it wasn't being done before because of some of the UX and the design pieces about where we were. But now it's just like the magnitude of the security that we're creating is just too material. So I think that's going to be the impetus. Basically, Th those forces are going to be the impetus for us to think about how to make this easy, how to automate more of it. Mm -hmm. I know that uh like security automation i talked to folks in it and they're like meh <laughs> you know but but we need some of that on the basics right to make that easy mm -hmm, yeah. and then you know maslow hierarchy then let's you know then let's have a discussion about you know advanced nation state attackers etc but if we all know we've got that debt so like how do we address that that you know that bottom tier that's like the oxygen equivalent for us yeah you know and and my mind kind of plays this out i know there's some companies out there pushing, um, and I'm not taking a stand right or wrong, but pushing this idea of having these very small mobile, if you will, nuclear power plants that you could drop in the middle of, you know, some country that doesn't have any infrastructure and it can power an entire city and it doesn't have any waste and it's relatively safe and this and that. 
And then you multiply that. Well, now you've got a thousand of them or a million of these things, you know, spanning the globe. And what are the potential risks there? Um, if they're not, to your point earlier, embedded with security, if they don't come from the, the manufacturer with it, it baked in because what they deploy is probably what they're going to have five years from now, 15 years from now, or 20 years from now, they're not going to be updated or changed. And mm -hmm. uh, the, the thing that really sparked my interest in that conversation was you talking about, you know, working with some college students and, and sort of some of the folks that have a lot of the, the brain share here, they're kind of, they're, they're retiring, right? They're, they're aging out of these categories. And I can tell you, we've, we've brought systems into our lab. You know, we've got tons of PLCs and, and, and different types of equipment, but we, we've got this one robot and I won't call out who the manufacturer is. And we said, Hey, let's, let's play around with this thing and see what we can make this robot do. And it's a pretty common industrial robot. You could use it for welding or painting and a, a million other things. So we did what most people do when they get a robot in the lab. We made it poke holes in a pumpkin, crush Coke cans and do push-ups, which I think is pretty much what everybody <laughs> wants their robots to do. Um, but what we found was really interesting is, yes, you could control it through a, a, a wired remote control. And there was this nice interface and you had that. Great. Yes, you could control it through a, a Siemens or a Rockwell PLC that you plugged in. Great. Set up the ladder logic and do all that. But what we quickly found out, and we didn't realize that was going to be the case going in, it was, it was running an anonymous FTP server. It was running a web server, which had a web interface that was like right out of like 1988. Uh, but it, it worked. It was very functional. It had a TCP IP stack, of course. You could tell net to it. It was uh, really uh, pretty robust in terms of how you could connect to it. Mm -hmm. So on top of, you know, Modbus and DNP3 and serial over Ethernet had everything else you had. So you have these hyper connected systems. So when we brought our hackers into the group, our folks that are much, much more IT centric to kind of play with these devices, uh, what we found out was it was so eye opening. But not only that, it was really interesting to them. It was like, hey, this is something so new because it's a, a real time operating system. It's not Linux like I've been playing with or a Windows system. It's a VX works or something like that. And they got really engaged. And what I thought was cool based on that, as well as like at Black Hat and DEF CON and some of the B-sides, they're bringing some of these devices out so young people can say, uh, or not so young people, can look at these devices and say, wow, this is, this is pretty cool. What are people doing on security? And that was never even a thing like a few years ago. Nobody mm -hmm. ever brought this stuff out to the, the shows. So do you, do you think there's that, you know, the trade shows and things like that, are there are there some other grassroots movements or activities that are getting more people engaged in this world than maybe was the case just a few years ago? So we can address that brain drain that we're going to be experiencing pretty quickly. Yeah, I think people are in security are really intrigued by um, it's not good if Spotify goes down, but, you know, you live. Uh, you okay. know, <laughs> in contrast, right? Like, so I, I think like it's very compelling for folks. So I think it's got a natural draw. I think our challenge is, um, you know, kind of giving that context, you know, pretty in, in an inclusive way, giving that context. So I, I really appreciate that, you know, Siemens had an apprenticeship program, which probably brought more people into energy around cybersecurity. So I'm seeing kind of the rise of apprenticeships, which I think is really awesome. Mm. You know, hackathons are awesome to get folks engaged. Mm -hmm. I really like that. You know, robotics, I look like 
love french fries and there's like a robot called flippy that you know would be for an automated like fry cart like you'd see in the mm -hmm. netherlands right so what? it's like there's awesome. no <laughs> there's no end to the stuff you could probably do bad things with yep. you know but it's absolutely the reality if you look at like those the unemployment rate if you look at the kinds of jobs that are getting automated and the next the next generation of those jobs are going to be people who are programming maintaining all of these you know, robotic and IoT devices, right? So, you know, I, I think that's kind of the future technician work that we have to mm -hmm. think about. And that's part of why it's so important that we make this easy yeah. for those kinds of personas. We think about, you know, how they're going to interact and how they schedule those tasks into their day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. Real quickly, let's talk about the threat. I mean, there's so, you know, again, we, you hear a lot and you, we see all the advisories and, and again, you know, back to the state of these things. I mean, when we see a, these CISA advisories, for example, you know, and if we talk to a customer, we'll say, you know, should you be, you know, concerned about that? Of course. But if your passwords are all default, and I can look them up on Google, you're probably looking over there when you should be looking over here. Um, but nonetheless, there are threats. And, you know, we've seen a lot of, we've learned through things like the Vulcan files. We see things like Pipe Dream. We see, you know, the Chinese, the Volt Typhoon, you see, you know, we, we talk a lot about Fronton, which could also be used for, you know, programmable logic controllers and, you know, the quiet exits and all of this stuff. And so when you look at all of these, you know, there's, there's all kinds of, you know, very sophisticated, in many cases, nation state grade, you know, malware and, and attack kits out there. What do you do? How do you see the threat to OTICS? Um, and, and maybe perhaps does that match perhaps what a lot of the energy utilities, oil and gas companies feel as well? I mean, how would you summarize it? You know, I think they've got really great folks, right? We're in their socks and who are, you know, the, the associated ISAC. So there's a lot of energy and good focus there. I've had the privilege of doing IR exercises with some of the majors in oil and gas. And, you know, they're, they're fantastic teams that are agile, mm -hmm. made some really good friends, you know, when they've had incidents at their sites and spent 18 hours on the phone with them. And, you know, now we, you know, exchange Christmas cards like that. <laughs> I have seen enough to see the, the diligence that the industry puts into this, but I think if, if you look at the process, if you think about secure by design, right. How quickly do things get exposed? How quickly can you identify where you have those vulnerabilities? Log4j was a wake-up call, right? What I'm hopeful about, frankly, is like more in the SaaS world, being able to have more real-time security, um, you know, kind of security scorecards uh, and being able to really understand for your instance of software where the vendor is at how many uh, vulnerabilities are beyond X days, mm -hmm. having more real-time communication, because it's really not that helpful for me to sign, fill out a, you know, a, a questionnaire once a year, maybe have you send an auditor. Yeah. I mean, it, it's limiting liability to some extent, but it's not really helping you be more agile. And so mm -hmm. I think that's what we need to get to is how can we seamlessly share that in a confidential way so people understand posture real time and we don't see vulnerabilities as necessarily like 
an indicator that you, you know, aren't diligent or don't care about secure by design like that, that mindset that, you know, it's, it's a defect that reflects negligence. I mean, sometimes we've seen that, right? Sometimes when there is a hard coded like root password in there, okay. You know, but mm -hmm. I think we have to have a, a view that like we're in this together. We need to be able to share information very quickly. How do we do that for your instance? Like, I think some of the software change managers or software management tools will make that easier. I'd love to see more of that in customer requirements. I would like to see more of a, like kind of more of that partnership. I, I love doing IR exercises with customers and vendors. I think that's really critical um, to exercise that, to mm -hmm. understand, right? Yeah, you, you hit such a key point there. And I kind of boiled it down to you can't, operate in a near real-time world with batch processes, right? These kind of this old way. And I think one of the first times I saw this on the OT side was um, energy transmission. It was, it was generation, it was transmission as well. But when they have more than enough capacity, as, as you well know, and know much better than me, uh, they can, they can trade, they can sell, they can sell the excess capacity. Well, that's not done in a batch job once a week, right? That's, that's real time. It's moving around real time. So if you don't have tech and you don't have processes, you don't have people trained to operate in that way, it's, you're not going to be able to scale. And that's just mm -hmm. one very small example of how, how everything bubbles up. But uh, Susan, as, as we wrap up here, the, the question I'd like to ask is, so for, for those uh, CISOs that are listening and are, are working on, on the OT side and within critical infrastructure, what advice could you, can you give them? And they're trying to get their arms around IT and cloud and IOT and OT and all these things. And, you know, what are, what are some, what are some, you know, words of wisdom you can pass along besides maybe just run? <laughs> yeah. Uh, make sure you take some downtime, uh, take care of yourself yeah. actually, because if you don't do that, you will create a lot of burnout in your staff, right? Mm -hmm. Actually just big picture CISO make sure that it's part of your job description to develop your staff. So you have bandwidth to help grow them up. It is really expensive to replace people in those roles. It yeah. is really mm -hmm. time consuming for you as a CISO to do the salary <laughs> benchmarking because probably your people organizations, unless you're in a huge organization, don't have those, especially OT security relevant benchmarks. So that's such a great real life from the trenches response to like, <laughs> like you've lived it. You like, listen to this. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. So make sure that you can spend part of your time developing your staff. It will, you'll feel better about it because people did that for you, but selfishly you will be working to retain them. <laughs> the second thing I would say is how you show up, the hours you put in, the intensity, People observe that and they model themselves after you, right? And so think about, you know, how much of that is public or not, how you convey that because you can burn people out in that way as well. So like just on a personal level, thinking about those things to protect yourself and, you know, be able to be in a sustainable spot. I think that really, so I think focusing on roles and responsibilities, right? And working with your operations team, with your legal team, really without that kind of definition of the roles and, and those contact points uh, in a really solid, actionable way where you're testing it out, <laughs> a CISO can become a designated scapegoat. Mm. And so, I mean, the crux of this is being decent at change management until, you know, five to 10 years from now, the security scope will be well understood in all these other functions in the same way 
these consumers know we have to change our passwords and, you know, uh, be mindful of public networks, et cetera. We're not quite there in, in the work context. So I mm. think being mindful of that, working to that in, in a really actionable way, it's not just on paper, but people understand that is, is really, really critical. I think that the other thing that I would say is invest in kind of your network. So for me to be able to contact people in MedTech and understand how they look at product security risk, even though that's not my industry, but that's a place where it's more mature is very, very. And so those are those are the pieces that I would say, if you can focus on those corollaries and really like the way the street is going, the way most CISOs are going, it's to be able to describe cyber risk in the context of that, right? Uh, so being able to speak that language of business, those are those are the things that I think have to be in your survival kit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And only because your perspective, I thought your perspective on this, Susan, was so spot on um, from the from your comments around focusing on the the user and the end user in these organizations to to help progress security in these organizations. What advice would you give? to those security vendors who are building what specifically what, what we'll call, you know, cyber physical system protection platforms, these kinds of technologies, focusing on these devices, what advice would you give them selling to these, (laughs) the CISOs and these other groups, right? Yeah. What I would say is just the budgets have been constrained. They've Mm -hmm. recently become more constrained and there is a mindset that we will invest resources where we can most materially, you know, or, or where we can most impact material risk, right? So if you can't talk about what your solution will do at scale in the context of dollars, right? If it's um, whatever it is, right? But talking about that, right? As opposed to, you know, it can perform this technical function. So when I listen to pitches, it's way more about the tech than the impact of the organization. Mm-hmm. And the CISO probably really loves the tech. And so that's probably really fun for them. Um, but that's not, you know, it's tough being a CISO and then trying to get the money for what you want. Yeah. So make it easy for them, <laughs> right? It, quantify it for them. And labor savings is totally valid, right? Because we're always making, we're always making challenge, you know, challenging decisions about headcount. We all know that there are many as many people in security as there are open jobs right now, <laughs> right? Sooner or later, folks are going to figure out that probably won't get resolved quickly, and we probably have to figure out how to automate some stuff. So, it so I would say think about that CISO, but literally, if you don't have a persona that's going to be the end user who's going to be interfacing with it at the plant, and you don't know their user stories, you're not helping yourself out because ultimately, if you have something. And it is like a museum relic and, you know, people dust it occasionally. That's not why you put that product, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, going back, doing the like kind of net promoter score, the visibility, getting that user feedback and creating a user group of the actual (laughs) field users, not just the OT security folks, right? I think is really critical. And, you know, I do know of a couple of companies that have done that. Right. It, and it's very few, but they have focused a lot. Like they've done things like it's been uh, abstracted. Right. So they've been like, oh, we had six features that were needed for this person. Right. So yep. understanding that very crisply, you're going to have to have different, you know, capabilities, maybe for the SOC, 
or for, you know, the compliance team, that's okay. But how much of each one can you cover? How much time can you save them? You know, how can you help them materially do their job so you can create the business case? Because I, I just want to tell you, it is really, really hard for, for anyone in the leadership position who has to go justify that budget. If you're not giving that to them, it, it you're, you know, I, I've had to do it because I haven't had vendors be able to articulate it, but I've, I've had to solve something. But it just make, make everyone's lives easier by kind of focusing on the, the impact. Right. For those individual, you know, user types or persona types. Great advice. And I know we have, you know, those in in the business of building these technologies as our listeners. And that's very sound advice, I think. So appreciate that. Um, It's been great, Susan. Uh, We could just keep going. It'd be wonderful to kind of keep track and, and have, you know, work, keep close to you as this progresses, because I think this is, I feel that that kind of the security side, even though Gartner says we're in the trough of disillusionment, I actually see um, some great things happening uh, in this space. I see a lot of minds opening up. I see, you know, change for the better. I, you know, I don't, it seems that you kind of agree. So we'd love to stay close to you as that change happens. And for our listeners, bring you back and, and talk about this because it's a very important topic. I think it's one that's, you know, I know our listeners and people in this industry are very, interested in so we'll keep talking to you about that thanks so much for inviting me i really appreciate it well we appreciate having you again thanks so much susan peterson sturm for coming with us today and remember everybody the iot security podcast is brought to you by phosphorus the leading provider of proactive full scope security management and breach prevention for the extended internet of things and until we meet again i'm john vecchi and i'm brian contos We'll see you all next time on Phosphorus Radio. Thanks for listening to this episode of the IoT Security Podcast. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe so you can join us again. While you're at it, leave a review. Find out more about IoT security and the podcast at phosphorus.io. See you next time on the IoT Security Podcast.